This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Stay tuned and visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org. We're in Romans 12. If you want to turn there in your Bible, we'll also have the scriptures up on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you today. As we uh, go through verses 15 through 18 and close out this series, today talking about healthy growth. One of the things that Paul says, and he, and, and he just says it very simply in verse 16, about having healthy growth in the body, <coughs> in the church, is this very simple statement. He says, live in harmony with each other. Live in harmony with each other. These were Paul's words to a church 2,000 years ago. Now, since the church is the body of Christ, you would think that living harmoniously and peacefully with one another, that should just be normal. That should just be how it is because we're the body of Christ. There should never be any times of disunion or, or division. It's Christ's body and Christ's church, right? So it all, everybody ought to be together and on the same page all the time. That's what you might think. But 2,000 years of church history has been rather liberally salted with in the church of fighting and, and splitting. And sometimes, be honest, the fights and splits have been over issues worth fighting for. For example, in the 1500s, the Protestant Reformation came about in reaction to centuries of a church that kept people in bondage to an elite group, and that group owned what very few Bibles, they all were hand, handwritten, if you will, hand-copied, What few Bibles existed in the world were kept in the hands of a few. And so the people in the church were in the dark. In fact, we called that era of time the Dark Ages because of the darkness. But then an amazing thing happened. The printing press was invented. And people began to get copies of the Scripture and read the Bible for themselves. And they rose up against the established church, and they founded new churches with a passion for returning to Scripture. But most churches today, (coughs) excuse me, that fight and feud, and we're a Baptist church, and let me say that Baptists probably have more than our share of fighting and feuding. We're not fighting and feuding and dividing and rising up over anything nearly so noble as to get a copy of the Word of God and to live by the Bible. In fact, most churches that have division do so over petty things and personalities and control and power struggles. And you have to ask, well, control and power over what? Over something that should belong to Christ. It is Christ's church. It's his body. Well, apparently in the first century, it wasn't uncommon for Christians to not get along in the church. So Paul writes these words. So live in harmony with each other. If you read the first couple chapters of 1 Corinthians, for example, you find a church that was just eaten up with division. And and Paul gets to that place at the beginning of chapter 3 after he's talked about all this division. And and you're following, you know, you've you've become celebrity worshipers and, and you're fighting over all these things. And he said, you know what the real problem is? You act like children. 
How, do, how many of you remember when you were young, you may be 10 or 11 years old, and you did something very selfish, you did something that you shouldn't have done, and your parents, your mom or your dad might have said to you, you act just like a baby. You act just like a two-year-old. And you know how that, man, that bothered you, because I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big boy now, you know? I don't but we can act so immature, and immaturity is what typically causes this kind of thing. And that's what's usually happening when there's division in the church. Someone, sometimes it's more than one. Like a child wants the toys all to himself or all to herself and doesn't want to share. And what really suffers as a result of, even if it's just one person or a small group of people, the whole church suffers. A divided church, and I've seen many, a divided church becomes focused rather than on Christ, who is to be our focus, rather than be focused on Jesus, a divided church becomes focused on whatever it is that's dividing them. And oftentimes, my experience in listening to other churches, (coughs) pastors talk about such things, oftentimes the number one thing that gets people upset, know what it is, somebody tell me. Finances, money, yeah. That thing that the Bible says, be careful, the love of it can be the root of all kinds of evil. Jesus said you can't love money and love God at the same time. So their energies are given in those churches. All of a sudden, instead of reaching new people for Christ and sharing the love of Jesus with the world and with their community and ministering to one another, they spend all their energies putting out fires and having contentious meetings rather than sharing Christ with the community. And all the while, the name of Christ is pulled down from being a glorious one to something the rest of the world mocks as it watches his body fall to pieces. Now, when you pull different people from different backgrounds and different personalities, you pull us all together, you can very easily have chaos. But healthy churches are not chaotic. Chaotic churches are dying. They're stagnant. They're selfish. And the end result is that there is a fractured body. You ever have a fracture in a part of your body? You ever break a bone, an arm, a leg? Uh, even a finger, I'm, you know, I, I always when I was working with kids in athletics and baseball or football, whatever, and a kid would say, I think I broke my finger. The first question I would ask him was this, can you move it? Because if he says, no, I can't move it, well, I would say, well, then it probably is broken. If you can move it, it's not broken because it's connected. It all moves together when you tell it to. But a church that's fractured doesn't move together, and together is the key word. But peace and harmony in the church just don't happen. It takes hard work. It takes every part of the body. And that's what we've been talking about is how we're all part of the body. Every part of the body doing his or her part, as Tom talked about a couple of weeks ago in in our giftedness doing ministry. It takes every part of the body doing our part to maintain harmony. And so in this last message of this series, I want us to look and listen to Paul as he, in these last few verses that we're going to pick out of of Romans chapter 12, and he gives the Roman church some pointers about what should be the ties that bind us together as a body and the attitudes that we've got to have to ensure harmony in the church. So what are they? First of all, if the church is going to be living in harmony, as Paul said, number one, that means we care about what's happening in each other's lives. 
We care about what's happening in each other's lives. Here's what Paul said. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Well, as Kit was up here sharing and she was telling about the things that really brought some growth and excitement in her spiritual life and some joy, some of you were sitting there and you got a smile on your face and in your heart you were cheering her on and saying, man, that is so great. I'm so excited for you, Kit. Way to go. I'm, I'm just thankful for what God's doing in your life. Paul says we're to be happy with those who are happy. Part of our church vision statement says that Nagshead Church should be a church made up of every age group, no matter what your background, no matter what your race or your education or your financial status, you are welcome here. And when we see one another in the church, as God says we are, as brothers and sisters, as family, we can then begin to show genuine care for what's going on in each other's lives, whether what's going on in my life at the time is positive or it's negative. I think that Jesus' words that we all learned sometime when we were little, we call it the golden rule, to do unto others as we want them to do unto us. I think that comes in, into play here, that we are happy with those who are happy, and, and we're, we weep with those who weep. Because when I'm happy about something, I want everybody to be happy about it. When I'm sad and upset about something, I want some people to come and commiserate with me, you know, and, 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 and weep with me and cry with me and, and share that with me as well. And so do you. And the thing is, every person in the body, no matter who you are, me included, every one of us in the body are going to have seasons in our lives of celebration. There are going to be times in your life when everything, man, just you can't help but praise God because of the way things are going in your life and how he's meeting your needs and how he's answering your prayer. And when those you have those kind of seasons, Paul says, we all ought to celebrate with you. We ought to get in there and just ex- and be excited with you and for you. We cheer one another on. But that also means this. Because your season of celebration may not be your season of celebration. My season of celebration may be your season of weeping because of what's happening in your life. And so we have to be very, very careful that if we're going to celebrate with one another, like Paul says, like God says we should do in the body, rejoice with one another, we have to be very, very careful, especially if, we, if I'm personally going through one of the, the seasons of weeping in my life, and I see that, man, but I look over at you, and God's just pouring it on you, and everything's going great. I have to be very, very, very careful that I don't allow myself to become jealous of what's happening in your life. Because when I become jealous, am I going to rejoice with you? You know what? I'm going to find some way to be critical of what's going on in your life. So we have to be very careful about those kind of things. We all have those seasons. We're also to be drawn to one another for comfort and support when there's hurting going on in the family. And gather around that person. Paul told the Corinthian church in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, he said, when one part of the body suffers, what did he say? The whole body suffers. How does that relate physically? You ever stub your little toe? In the middle of the night, you're getting up and you got to make a trip somewhere. And you, gotta, you get up and you go and there's something that's not where you thought it was. And you stub your little toe. And it really hurts. Your little toe all the way down there, but it is expressed in pain by what comes out of your mouth and you wake up the whole house. When one part of the body suffers, the whole body, and you wake everybody up. That's what Paul said. And we need to gather around 
one another. Now, I want you to do this right now. Just take just a moment. I want you to look around the room. Just kind of turn your head this way and, and look at who's here this morning. If, you, if you're sitting in front, you're going to have to turn around. So turn around and look at somebody. But I, I, don't look at me. Look around the room at one another. Chances are, even if you have been a longtime partner here, there, chances are there are more people here this morning that you don't know than you do know. Chances are. And if you know them, there's a good chance that there's a lot of people, yeah, I know who that is, but I don't know him or her well. So that presents a challenge. How do we have the kind of relationships in the church where we can know each other's times of celebration and celebrate with you, and we can know each other's times of hurting and hurt with you, weep with you. How can we do that when I look around and there's so many people I don't have a clue who they are? Well, a big part of the answer to that question is that you need to join in with a connection group. Your kid talk about her group that meets on Monday nights. And if you're not part of a connection group, today is an ideal day for you to be here at Nags Head Church because we're going to say to you today, hey, we want you to try one out. We'll talk about that a little bit later in the gathering. Second thing that Paul says, not only do we care about one another in the body, but the second thing he says in this passage is that we enjoy, if we're going to be in harmony with one another, we enjoy being with each other. We enjoy being with each other. Here's what he says. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. Now, that person that you were looking at just a moment ago across the room, let me say something about that guy or that gal. Chances are they're pretty ordinary, you know. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. People. Enjoying the company implies it's just really easy to figure out what he's saying. We, we need to spend time together. It needs to be enjoyable time. And sometimes we call that enjoyable time that we spend together in the church, we call that fellowship. I remember one guy some time ago made the comment, trying to excuse himself from times of fellowship in the church. He said, well, you know what? He said, I'm just not a social person. Just not a social person. That's like somebody who comes to church and and we sing songs of praise to God and they never sing a word. Their mouth stays closed and they say, well, you know what? I'm just not a singer. And I want to say to that person, because I can take you right to the scriptures and show you. I want to say to that person, but God says we sing. And God says we fellowship. So if you're not a singer or you're not a social person, you need to get over it and let God change that in your lives because that's how he wants you to be. That's part of growing up and maturing and allowing the Holy Spirit to work on your life, something God wants to change in you. The, the New Century Version reads... excuse me, this verse this way, and make friends with those who seem unimportant. Here's another way that following Christ calls you and me to swim upstream. It's it's my natural tendency, and, and probably yours as well, to gravitate toward people who are like me, like us. Those who gravitate toward people not only who are like us, but to gravitate toward people 
who like us and those who can do something for us. It's against our human nature, however, to gravitate toward people, to find people out, to spend time with people who are different, especially if there's some kind of cultural difference or maybe educational difference or social difference. And what I'm saying is, I think, that I guess it's, it's easy in our human nature, it's easy for us all to look down on some people because we don't think they fit in with who we are. But as Christians, if we have that kind of attitude in the body of Christ, that attitude doesn't pull us together. It doesn't build harmony in the church. In fact, it does just the opposite. Have you ever been to a church? I asked this question in the last gathering and got quite a positive response. Have you ever been to a church or maybe heard of a church that had been described or, or was what we call cliquish? You know, us four and no more. You know, the, all, all through the church are these little social groups that were next to impossible for anyone else to penetrate. Was Jesus' attitude, if you think about him, and his action toward people that the religious elite of his day considered unimportant, that caused them to criticize him the loudest. For the Pharisees, for example, they thought, you have no business associating with sinful people. He would go into Matthew's house and sit down, and all of Matthew's buddies, Matthew was a tax collector, and all of his buddies were the same kind of people who were typically cheats and swindlers, and Jesus sat down and had dinner with them, and the Pharisee says, you shouldn't be doing that. And they criticized him for hanging out with sinners. But it wasn't just the Pharisees, his own disciples. Man, they gave him grief one time when a, when a woman came in and she, she washed his feet with her tears and, and wiped the, his feet off with her hair. And they said, you know, this is a sinful woman. What are you doing allowing her to, to even touch you like that? And, and another time when his disciples got really ticked off because some unimpe- unimportant people in their eyes, they seemed unimportant to them, they were children, were brought to Jesus. And, you know, we've all seen the paintings of Jesus sitting with the children on his knee and on his lap and surrounding him. And remember, they, they told the people, hey, keep the kids away from Jesus, and Jesus had to rebuke them. And, he, and essentially what Jesus said was, whoa, no, they're important to me. Allow them to come to me because the kingdom of God is made up of people like this. Harmony in the church means we all realize that we all belong to one another in the body. It means that there is no one in the church who is superior in status, that we're all equals in Christ, that there should be no man-made barriers like age or race or wealth barring our acceptance or our fellowship. Some of the greatest lessons I've ever learned have come from some of the most unexpected people in the church. See, no one is superior, neither is anyone inferior. So we, Paul says, if you're going to live in harmony, enjoy being with each other. And then he says this, if you're going to live in harmony in the church, realize that we all have lots to learn. <coughs> we all have lots to learn. Here's what the scripture says. Don't think you know it all. Don't think you know it all. Think about this with me. The word disciple is a word that simply means learner. 
Our master teacher is Christ. We're to learn about him. We're to learn from him. We're to learn to be like him. The whole Christian life from the moment you became a Christian until, until the day you die, and I think even beyond that, is a school of learning, a school of discipleship where you're learning. It was interesting to hear Kit say in her story that there was a 40-year gap from the time she trusted Christ till just three years ago, a 40-year period of time that she did not learn. And so now she's gotten to the place where she's thinking in her life, I got a lot to catch up on. The whole Christian life is a time of learning, a type of being a disciple. And not only are we to learn from God, but we are to learn from one another. The Bible talks about us teaching one another in several different ways. Let me ask a question this way. How many of you who are parents have learned valuable lessons in life from your children? Would you raise your hand? Your kids have taught you something important. Sure, all of us. How many times have you heard a parent, by the way, of a, of a child with, with special needs? Maybe a child who doesn't have the, 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 the mental capacity that some of us do. Maybe a child who doesn't have the capacity to verbally communicate. How many times have you heard parents of children like that make the comment that, you know what my child has done? My child that others might consider unimportant. My child that others might consider to be a castaway. My child has taught me how to love unconditionally. Have you ever heard that statement? I haven't. It just blows me away. What are they saying? This person has taught me unconditional love, and unconditional love, folks, is the kind of love that God loves us with. So if I get to the place, personally, if you or I get to this place where I become unteachable because I think I have either all the knowledge or I think I have superior knowledge to anyone around me in the body, and they have nothing to teach me, then not only am I full of pride, Listen, follow me now. I have ceased to be a learner. I've become unteachable. And if I have ceased to be a learner, I have also ceased to be what? A disciple. Can't call myself a disciple if I'm not learning. None of us here at Nagshead Church knows it all. In fact, let's be honest, most of us here at Nagshead Church don't know much. We don't know it all, but we want to learn more. We want to be like Kit says she is. I want to be hungry for the things of God. None of us has all the answers. So Paul is saying to you and me here, Nag said, church, if you want to live in harmony in the church, be teachable. Be teachable. Then he moves on and he says this. If you want to live in harmony in the church, listen, when we're wronged, we do the right thing. You want harmony when we're wronged? We do the right thing. He says this, never pay back evil with more evil. And again, that little blast from Scripture there goes against our human nature because our human nature is to fight fire with what? Fire. You hit me, I'm going to hit you back, and I'm going to try to hit you harder. Human nature says hurt people hurt people. But wait a second. Never pay back evil with more evil. Is Paul actually, in, is he actually implying, is he saying that there is a chance that someone in the church might do or say something 
that hurts or offends me? Is that what he's saying? That's exactly what Paul's saying. And we would think if there's any place on earth where wrongs shouldn't happen, it's within the church family. But then that would require all of us to be perfect. And we're not. That would require that all of us would always agree. But we don't. Of course, for each one of us, when we say that, I wish, can't we just all agree? Of course, the the part of that sentence that we leave off is, can't we just all agree with me? But the truth is, if you're in the church very long, and I've been, I've been in this church, I guess longer than just about anybody except Tom and Sandra and Marilyn Dolly and and Gail. She came in the same time I did. We were a package deal there. Uh, I've been almost twenty years, and for almost twenty years. I've been in the church. Now, if you've been in the church very long, one of the things I've discovered is that somewhere along the line, somebody, something is going to be said, something is going to be done that in some way is going to hurt you. It's going to happen. You can't avoid it. And, and well, there are some people who say, well, I'll avoid it. And the way I avoid it is I don't get involved with other people. I don't come to church for fellowship. I come to worship, and then I'm on my way. And again, that person needs to go back to point number two of the message this morning, and that says we, we enjoy spending time with each other. That's the way God planned it out. But our natural reaction, yours and mine, to being hurt or to be wronged is retaliation. It's payback. I don't get mad. I get even. You ever watch, <laughs> don't raise your hand because I don't want to embarrass you. I don't want people to think you're dumb. But do you ever watch shows on TV like, like Judge Judy? You ever watch shows on TV like, like Jerry Springer? Don't raise your hand. But if you watch those kind of programs, you'll see that fallen human reaction of getting even right there in front of the whole world. And sadly, that same kind of thing can happen within the church. And God says it shouldn't. You're supposed to live in harmony with each other. You're not supposed to pay back evil with evil. It says here not to give them the same treatment they gave you. So what do we do then? When when I'm hurt, when I'm wrong, what do I do? Well, here's what Jesus said in in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. He said, let me change that up. Let me give you a new direction in life. I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven for He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who loved you, what reward will that have? You know, well, I'm going to love the people who are good to me and kind to me. Well, what's the big deal? Anybody can do that is what Jesus is saying. Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing out of the ordinary The point that he's making is, Christian, in the body of Christ, we are not to be ordinary. We are to be extraordinary because we follow Christ in our lives. So Paul goes on to say, if you're wrong, if you're hurt, be careful how you respond because he says this, do things in such a way that everyone can see you're honorable. Retaliation is 
ordinary. The church is to be an extraordinary family. You learn to forgive. You learn to be patient. You learn to turn the other cheek. But you don't hurt someone because you've been hurt. Can you see here the importance of the church being different from the world? The the world knows, even if they know hardly anything about God's word and Christ, chances are maybe they saw it on a movie, whatever, but chances are they know that Jesus, (coughs) when he was falsely accused and he was falsely judged and he was crucified for crimes that he didn't commit, he did not retaliate. They know how he responded. And so when they see you and me as believers responding to offenses at work or in the family or at church, when they see us responding as Christ would, that's when they begin to realize this thing about being a Christian really does make a difference. Well, what about justice, Rick? You know, shouldn't people be paid back? for the wrongs they do. If there's some kind of punishment given out on someone who's been hurtful, please remember, it hasn't slipped by God's attention. God knows all about it. And Paul in verse 19, he simply says to us, let God deal with them. He says, my friends, do not try to punish others when they're wrong, when they wrong you. Wait for God to punish them with his anger. Put it in his hands. Put it in his time. Then Paul goes on and he says, you want to live harmoniously in the church? Here's what you need to do. We go the extra mile with one another. (coughs) Go the extra mile with one another. Here's what he says. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. He doesn't say simply live in peace with everyone because, you know, there are some people that just kind of, you just can't be done. You know, they're just contentious all the time. But he says, you do everything within your ability, within your power, within your strength. You go the extra mile. You bend over backwards. You do whatever has to be done to live in peace with everyone. And that's one way that you and I extend God's grace to each other. We give one another in the church the benefit of the doubt. We come together and we settle differences peaceably rather than escalating the differences. There's a great example of this in the book of Philippians. Paul wrote a letter to the Philippian church. And there were in this congregation a couple of ladies who had an ongoing feud of some kind. I don't know what it is. I haven't found any more about it than what I'm going to share with you in just a moment. But this feud had gone on way too long, and it was having a negative effect on the church body. Now imagine, you come to church one Sunday. You're one of these two ladies. One of you sitting on that side, all the way over on on that side, and the other one's all the way over on that side. You go out at different doors. You don't let your eyes catch each other. You want to have no communication with her because there's some kind of feud going on, and there's no fellowship there. And you come, but you're still coming to the same church, and you show up on Sunday morning, and the pastor gets up, and he's so excited. And he announces, guess what came in the mail this week? We got a letter from Paul. You know he's in prison right now in Rome, but he took out some time to write a letter to us. 
And this morning, I'm going to read that letter to you. And everybody's excited. Paul's written a letter to us. And so everybody sits back and begins to listen very intently as the pastor breaks out these parchments and he begins to read this letter. And he reads the letter and it talks about this church's faithfulness, brings smiles on their faces. And, and he talks about the humility of Christ as our Savior and how we're to be like Jesus in that regard. And, and they get a few amens. And then he gets to this passage of Scripture where he, where he stops and the pastor looks at the letter and he takes a deep breath and he reads these words. Paul says, now I appeal to Yodia and Syntyche. You two ladies, Paul's talking to you. He's called your name. Man, he hasn't called anybody else's name out except one other guy, and he commended him, and now he's appealing to us. What's he going to say? Please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. And I ask you, my true partner, maybe talking to the pastor, I don't know, I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women, for they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are written in the book of life. Can you imagine what that would have been like? Can you imagine when the pastor said, now I want to talk about Yodi and Syntyche? And everybody in the church knows what's going on. And some of the people, when they get to that, people, uh, that place, some of the people elbowing the person next, oh, here it comes. And Paul says to the, can you imagine? I, I would have been really tempted had I known where they were sitting in the congregation to take a glance each way and see the expression that's on their face right now. Busted by the Apostle Paul in front of everybody in church. But Paul tells us these two women weren't bad people. They had served with Paul as missionaries. But they had some kind of falling out in it, and it looks like they're going to need some help because they're not getting it straightened out. See, peace in the church isn't accidental. It doesn't just happen. Sometimes you have to work at it. Sometimes it takes extra effort from others to get you there, but it's worth the effort. And I wonder, I don't know because we're not told in the Scripture, I wonder if these two ladies got the message, or I wonder if they both, one or both said, I will never set foot back in that church again. I was so embarrassed. They, they totally missed what they should have gotten. Here's what we need to remember as we relate to one another in the body. If we're going to have harmony in the church, get this down, everybody in the body is, has responsibility, is responsible for the health of the body. Everybody's responsible for the health of the body. Now, we need to know how to answer the question Whose church is it? Whose church is it? We need to know the answer to that question. The answer to that question, of course, is that it's Christ's church. He brought it into being. He died and resurrected from the dead so that it could be alive. The church belongs to Jesus. But, the, but Jesus has, in turn, given each part of the church a responsibility, a, a stewardship, of seeing that the church is healthy and maturing. Stewardship, what does that word mean? It means stewardship is I'm taking care of somebody else's property. It's a, it's a management. And in the body of Christ, we all belong to him. Yet we also, we're told, belong to each other. Pulled together from the world to be a family that represents Jesus in the community. 
So not only are we each in the church, me, responsible, you, responsible to Jesus as individual believers, I am and you are, we're also together as a body responsible to Christ as his body, but hear me, we are also responsible to each other. Let there be harmony in the church. Easier said than done. Impossible? No way. It wouldn't have been written there for us if it was impossible. But it means that we all work at it. We all work in our gifts and serve in our gifts. We all pray for one another. We all love one another. We all want to spend time with one another. We all encourage one another. None of us looks down on the other. Harmony in the church. Healthy church. Let's pray. Father, would you take your word now as as we think about it and meditate upon what you've got to say and what you've told us today about working together and, and living in harmony, and would you continue to bless this church with that attitude and that heart? Thank you, God, that we are in a church where there is no division, where we're all working toward the same goal and the same passion, and that's you. But I also know, God, that is something that's so easily broken. And I pray, Father, that as a part of this body, that you would not allow me to be part of something that causes division. But, Father, always seek your mind. Jesus, always want to follow your steps and lead in that direction. Help me to learn from everybody in this body, Father. Somebody here that needs to help me learn some lessons. And, Lord, likely it's somebody that maybe is kind of ordinary. Maybe I would not think would be the one to teach. Maybe a little tiny child. But help me to be teachable. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church. Reaching people to discover life in Christ. Visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org.